when I went into 08, we had $100,000 a month in overhead between all the wrap trucks and the salary and the advertising and the, you know, when you got a mega million just to break even, it's a whole lot harder to be sane. Welcome to Find Your Freedom, the best entrepreneurship podcast. Being an entrepreneur is hard. That is why we created findyourfreedompod.com to compile all the resources you need to find your own freedom. This episode with Tim Harriage is powerful. We discuss being the hardest worker in the room, having the hard conversations with yourself in the mirror, and how Tim went from being a Marine to doing over a billion dollars in real estate deals. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and give Find Your Freedom a review. Also, be sure to share with an aspiring entrepreneur in your life. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome, Tim. Super stoked to have you on with us today. Thank you, man. Good to be here. Tim, welcome to the podcast, my man. Uh, you are a living legend in the real estate world. And um, I think, um, you know, before we've gotten the opportunity to, to be face to face here on the camera, um, I've gotten probably about a thousand to, to 2000 uh, texts and emails from you. I think it's really cool how you've um, gotten your, your reach out there and got your name out there. Um, how would you say that you have um, been uh, so successful in getting your name out there and becoming so well-known? You know, it, it all goes back to 22 years ago now. Um, and it's something I still do today. I am someone that I love a challenge. Um, I think all technology uh, and, and new technology is something that I embrace and always have. So when I first started in the wholesaling houses business 20 something years ago, I heard of this thing called GoDaddy and you could buy a domain. And uh, so I went and bought wholesalehouses.net. And then, you know, this is, this predates YouTube, right? Like, right. so I was searching, like, I think the, the, the search engine I used back then, I used Firefox as the browser. Right. And uh, Mozilla, it was, a, no, that's, this was before Firefox. It was like Hydra or Ask Jeeves or something <laughs> like that. Oh, ask Jeeves, that's deep. <laughs> and so I just started like researching because I didn't go to college. I went straight to the Marine Corps uh, out of high school and- you know, frankly, these things weren't taught in college because they didn't even exist. So I found a constant contact uh, in 2027, 2002. Uh, I created a constant contact email address and I just became a nut about it, Doug. I'd go to the local RIA and I'd get all these business cards and I'd go home, plug them into because there wasn't scanning software or any of that jazz. Like I'd plug them into my constant contact. And then every time I'd get a house for sale, I'd put it on my wholesale houses website, which was like, I, I just wish I still had a screenshot of how bad that was. Uh, <laughs> but it was a place to put my houses. Like no one else had that. Uh, right. Yeah. So like I You're started- You're an early adopter and, pioneer. Yeah. And like, I've, I've just always done that. Like when I heard about text message marketing, man, bam, went and got that. Um, when- uh, I mean, right now I am so deep into learning about artificial intelligence and chat GPT and all the different use cases and automations with that. Uh, like, so how did I get myself out there? Because I'm a bit of a nerd, Doug. Uh, <laughs> but I just believe that 
you know, if, if I push myself and learn new things, it can put me, a, it, it gives me an advantage where I was someone that came from not having an advantage. So I, I guess I've always just looked for any advantage or level up that I could obtain. So you'd see these little, these little hacks and get all excited and, and say, this is how I can get my edge. And um, man, it's really, uh, it's really amplified your, your reach and your message and, and built, build a huge uh, network um, that you've been able to leverage. So very, very cool. Now you, uh, we were researching your career and we're looking back and we're like, man, how many companies has this guy started, built, run over his two decade illustrious career? And um, man, I, I was, I was curious to, to ask you, you know, where are you spending the bulk of your time with all these different companies and things that you have going on? Oh man. You know, the manifestation of having multiple companies is really just, it's a reflection of my ability to focus or lack thereof. Um, (laughs) I don't spend all of my time anywhere, but everything I do is connected. If that makes sense. Uh, I guess my full-time job right now would be RCN capital. I'm the executive director, but I'm also closing on a house. I'm selling on owner finance today. Uh, I also closed on an acre of land earlier this week that I'm going to flip. I'm also actively refinancing a portfolio of Airbnb properties that I own. Uh, I'm also involved in some multifamily deals. But if you think about it, when I'm using right now artificial intelligence to synthesize and analyze market data. And I spend two hours on that. I'm actually not working on any company, but what I'm doing benefits all of the companies I'm involved in. Right. 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 Uh, Before this call, I was uh, reading a foreclosure market update from my friend, Rick Sharga. uh, And then I was loading it into chat GPT and then asking chat questions, right? Like, because I read it one way, but then I can give it a couple more samples of data and then ask the machine to read it another, right? Uh, there's this cool program I found called Git Cody. Uh, it's like 180 bucks a month, but you can give it specific knowledge bases and even import websites off of uh, uh, like sitemaps and stuff. So I imported my entire website, every blog I've ever written, Right. So now the thing learns me, my voice, my style, my thoughts. And then I overlay market data and I tell the machine like, okay, here's what's recently happening. Combine that with what I think and know and create a blog. And it's just insane. Like this thing's like, holy God, I'm like, that's that's me. And then I (laughs) then I read it and change it. and, And and it's funny, like I even delete a lot of it, but when I read what the machine says, it gives me another point of view that I can read and take in. So I don't know. I mean, that's the longest question ever to what do you do? Uh, but uh, I do a little you bit covered of everything. Yeah, I do a little bit of everything. I'm involved in strategy in uh, RCN Capital and uh, a big part of strategy is understanding the real estate market. So, right. Uh, yes, yeah, so you're a little more macro now. Yeah, for sure. Uh 
I joke around with people all the time. I'll meet them at a trade show and they'll start like trying to talk to me about their loan. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's not me. Uh, <laughs> I have a team that helps with that nowadays. <laughs> yeah, well, we have 38 exceptional loan officers. They're just great. I mean, some of them close 60, 70 loans a month. Oh, my goodness. Uh, wow. But they read the underwriting guidelines every day. They live it, breathe it, practice it. Whereas I read them when they come out and then I read the cliff notes on the changes. I don't need to know the zip code specific overlays, right? So uh, I'm very high level, uh, uh, intentionally, uh, very strategic. I, uh, it's funny, uh, with the title like executive director, you would think I was important. Um, I'm not. I don't have a division. I don't have a department. I don't have any direct reports or employees. I just kind of run around and run my mouth and uh, try to make everything I see better in any way I can. I love that. That's such a great answer because it, it goes through so many important lessons like um, kind of make yourself set up redundancies so that you make yourself have freedom to do the other things which you find valuable in that period. And it sounds like a lot of what you're doing now that's valuable is staying on the forefront of the information and seeing what the next advantage is technologically for your business. And I think all of those things are really subtle lessons that you covered in that. Well, it's, it's, it's also important because then what happens, you know, I don't know if you've read Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Uh, yes, actually. But, many, but if you haven't reread it, I recommend you reread it. I listen to it on audiobook because you can hit it like one and a half speed and like blow through it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But when you think about it, I'm a lender and it's, most people, when they talk to a lender, it's all about rate and term, right? Like, what's your rate? What's your points? What's your closing cost? You know, it, it's there's not a real intrinsic value. So one of the things I've been able to do is by doing more, more podcasts like this and trying to add value to people's lives and trying to do market updates where I take in high level data and make it make sense to the normal investor. Part of that is... We, we're starting to build this affinity where people want to do business with us because we're seen as the company that gets them. And we do like, I'm always saying one of my things in the boardroom is there's people behind the paper, right? Like when you're moving 150 loans a week, uh, doing a couple hundred million dollars a month, uh, sometimes it's all about the paper, but you got to always remind yourself that there's, you know, there's an entrepreneur out there that, is needs this loan to close. And it's not just that entrepreneur, it's the seller, it's the title agent, it's the realtor, the loan officer. There's so many people connected to every piece of paper. Uh, you know, it's, it's a focus of our companies to always remember the people behind the paper. I love that. That's such a good uh, backbone of a company. I can see why it would grow so quickly because when you, when you know that people are taking care of you and look at you, not just as the number, um, which I know a lot of people have experienced when they're closing on their loans, uh, that can be a huge advantage. Uh, can you uh, take a step back now and put yourself back when you were first starting Sprint Property? And a lot of our audience is aspiring entrepreneurs that are wanting to take that step and not really sure how to or when to or they are in the middle of it. Um, can you take yourself back to that? Was there any decisions you made that you thought really helped uh, make the transition easier? Or are there any lessons learned that you think are valuable to pass on to the aspiring entrepreneurs? You know, so Sprint Property Company, if you go back the year before, I was an acquisitions agent, uh, basically the buyer for a home investors franchise. And I'd gone to all these RIAs and 
I am an information sponge. Like I, I just soak things up, and I just noticed. All right, you said you said Ria a few times, just to clarify for the people that don't know. I'm sorry. Real Estate Investor Association, the the, the REI clubs that back Perfect. in the old day. I mean, there wasn't a bulletin board or a Facebook Live option. Like you had to drive down there and go to the three hour meeting. <laughs> um, gotcha. But yeah, I mean, so I'd go to these real estate clubs and you would meet the guy or gal that owned 50, 60 houses. And they would, they, all they talked about was cash flow and rental property and all that. And then you would meet the wholesaler, the flipper. And, and, you know, all they talked about was, you know, how much money they made and da, da, da. And I just, I'd read rich dad, poor dad. Um, when I got out of the Marine Corps, my gunnery sergeant gave it to me a uh, little known fact, Robert Kiyosaki is a Marine as well. Um, yeah. I mean, it just, for some reason, I always knew I wanted to have long-term wealth. And when I met Scott Horn and Dave Arant, um, this would have been, God, 2022, so 21 years ago, uh, we just hit it off. And I sold some houses to their borrowers, and we always got along. And I just decided I wanted to build long-term wealth, and I sat down and talked with them. And, uh, man, it was so cool. Like, they just offered me that partnership. And... Uh, they taught me so much about delayed gratification, um, you know, because we'd make fifty, sixty thousand dollars wholesaling some houses, and then we'd be keeping a house, and and, and it was all, uh, Tim, we're not going to distribute all the cash. We're going to put twenty percent back. We're going to put a fifteen percent allocation for marketing. Like it was so structured. It was something I'd never experienced, and, and uh, I gained light years of knowledge. And I mean, I got a PhD while making money and building wealth, right? It was just amazing. Just, just to jump in and clarify, Tim. So these, these partners that you're referring to are mentors that you found at the, at the real estate investment clubs. Yeah. Okay. What is it that you felt? I think that a lot of things that uh, aspiring entrepreneurs struggle with is they're like, all right, well, I'm hearing Tim got these people to partner with him. Um, but he didn't sound like he had a ton of experience coming out of the Marines. What were you bringing to the table? that these experienced and it sounds like very successful um, people, what is it that you were bringing um, to partner with them? That's interesting. Um, <laughs> Scott, I am 45 now. So it's exactly 20 years after I started Sprint Partners with Scott. Scott is 65 because he was always exactly 20 years older than me. So what I brought was a lack of strategic focus. What I brought was <laughs> hustle and grind. Uh, and it's funny, Scott and I were talking a couple weeks ago. I'm kind of now in the chair that Scott was in then. I have money, I have wisdom, I have knowledge, I have experience, but I don't have a lot of time and I don't have a lot of drive to get out and like, go. I mean, look, I'm in Texas, guys. It's going to be 100 degrees here today. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like dressing in boots and jeans and going and knocking on doors. But I promise you, 20 years ago, I'd have been out there in my Wranglers and my boots, and I would have been banging on doors and putting out flyers and Dripping doing whatever sweat. it took <laughs> yeah. to get a deal, yeah. right? right. Uh, so I think, you know, and I, I say this a lot, and you may have heard me say this, everybody wants to be where the person they look up to or the, their mentor is, but very few people are willing to do the work that person had to do to get where they're at. Right. Like my children, they see all the blessings that we have in our family and like they love it and they want it. But it's like, yeah, but 
Are you willing to go work 18 hours a day and be the guy whose cell phone got cut off while you were waiting for a commission check? I mean, you know, uh, I rode hard and I rode fast and that's uh, what attracted the Dave and Scott to me because they could tell I was a person of integrity and high drive and energy. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing that energy and being someone that it sounds like you really put yourself out there really saying like, I have these aspirations. I'm going to do what it takes to get there. And I'm sure they saw some of that in you by going to those meetings and seeing the activity you were doing. And I think that's such a critical piece to get that early alignment with the people that will help you on your career is you got to be putting in the time. And I do think that's a little bit of a disconnect that um, some people have on their dreams and goals when they're younger is, um, yeah, you got to show it first, then they're going to see you doing it and then they're going to want to help you. But just saying it doesn't make it happen. Yeah. And Tim, did you, did you approach them? Do you remember? I know this was a long time ago. Did you approach them and say, Hey guys, let's do this. I want to, I want to partner up with you guys. Or was it like they see this, this fiery kid, Tim, and they say, Hey Tim, come on in and let's get to work. I actually had saved, I'd made uh, over a hundred grand the year before uh, for the first time in my life. And I'd saved up some money and they were hard money lenders. And so I invited Scott Horn to Spring Creek barbecue for lunch because I wanted him to be my lender. Yeah, I was not there. I, I like I wanted him to be my lender. And uh, he offered the partnership. He said, I like your drive. I like your, you know, your work ethic. You've established quite a name for yourself in the last couple of years. Why don't you just use all my money and we'd be partners? I'm like, hell yeah, sign me up. So you took him to lunch to get a loan and you ended up walking away with a partnership. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. That, that, sound, that takes me back. That's very similar to how my partnerships came together. Yeah, it sounds super similar to Doug's. Yeah, very similar story <laughs> with my partners. Well, and that's what's funny is is someone asked me the other day, and I forget what show it was on. They said, what was the first deal you ever did alone? And I mean, this is not a cliche. I'm not trying to be cute or write a book or some stuff. <laughs> I've never done a deal alone. I've always had a partner, whether it's my wife or my team or, I mean, like this owner finance deal I'm closing today. I mean, I put it all together. It's kind of all my brain work, but, you know, Nick is buying the note and that's a very important, like I couldn't do the deal the way I'm doing it without Nick. And Jesse is handling the buyer and I couldn't do all the stuff I'm doing without that. And the title company, you know, they're drafting, uh, I'm doing a first and a second lien. So it's like a three-part transaction. So I don't know. I, I, I think... From being a Marine, I think having the attitude of uh, team and, and, and not and, and being understanding it's bigger than yourself, uh, it's been a big part of my success, honestly. That's huge. Um, yeah. And, and something that you're saying is uh, really resonating with me that a lot of people say like, oh, man, that guy's successful. Look how lucky he was. Some guy just offered him a partnership out of nowhere like man that guy's lucky that's kind of kind of stuff doesn't really happen to me and then something that another one of our guests has brought up that always that i think about almost daily is that you kind of need to increase your surface area for serendipity the more hard work you're doing the more grind you put in the more knowledge you're gaining you're creating more surface area for lucky pennies to land on so you kind of start out with a small plate and it's hard for those lucky pennies to land on it if you're not grinding and working and doing the doing the hard things but as you work and work and those people were watching you your plate was building up and they're like you know what i i'm gonna throw a penny towards this kid because i can see him putting in the work 
to increase his area surface area for serendipity. And yeah, it's like, oh yeah, that's luck. Well, no, it's luck built on top of a foundation of hard work every day in his Wranglers in a hundred degrees in Texas, you know, walking around grinding. And I, and I love that, you know, there, there's really a lot of subtlety to the stories that you're, that you're telling uh, Tim. And I, I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's the journey. I, and, and I, so I speak in metaphors um, and I have children, uh, both boys. So it's very, it's hard to be a leader of, of young men. Um, and I always tell them, if you would have told me 22 years ago when I got out of the Marine Corps that I'd be sitting and doing the things and have done the things that I am doing, I'd have laughed into your faces. I mean, you get the wrong guy. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to be a cop. I mean, I, I wanted to be a state trooper. Like, that was my goal. And, and so th- I think what all, all entrepreneurs have to understand is this business is a journey you may start out to be a lender and end up being an operator. You may start out being a salesperson and end up being an operations person. You just don't know. But the right. key is on journeys, you just got to start and you got to go somewhere. And you have to understand that, you know, there's exits and there's detours and there's things that will happen that you can't foresee both to the good and the negative. But all you can do every day is get up and put your boots on and keep moving forward. And uh, it, 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 with a positive attitude, it's amazing where you can end up. I love that. And then kind of kind of referencing that, looking back at that early period of your life 20 years ago, is there one decision or one course of action that you did that, you're, that you look back on and was like, wow, that really changed the course of my career. So you had this partnership. Once you're in the partnership now, is there anything else that happened that you're like, man, like this really kind of redirected me. Like, like you said, you're walking, you're grinding, but you know, you're also kind of pivoting along the way. It's kind of a zigzag depending on where, uh, those, uh, lucky pennies land. I mean, I can talk about the things I wish I hadn't done. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's hard to talk about the things I did right because it's, it's, it's really and truly just stacking those pennies one after another. Like, if I bring up one thing, it just makes me think of something before. I mean, I, I'll tell you this, and I've been saying this a lot this year on the stage, is the, one of the most important things in any business is your track record. And it's the one thing you can't buy. And I, I think too many people will sacrifice maybe their name, their ethics, their morals, their belief system for a dollar. And earlier you were talking about, you never know who's watching. Like you never know who's watching. And so I I think the best thing I've ever done is I am overly honest and overly ethical. And I, there's been times that I could have, you know, um, justified maybe cutting a guy or gal out of a deal or not paying someone some commission for something. But I just don't operate like that. And, you know, it's, it's a very, very long career with a big, big industry, but the list of people that have been doing this longer than five years is really short. And the list of people doing it longer than 10 years is shorter. And the 20 plus year folks, like, I mean, I could put them all in the room I'm sitting in right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty exclusive club for sure. Now, let's uh, let's go back. Uh, we're kind of 
you know, in the early days of the the Tim Harriage uh, real estate investing career. Now you were already kind of big time or 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 growing your business and and getting there by the time the the crash hits in 08. So take us to that time. Do you consider that one of the most challenging periods that you had to navigate? What was it like for you? And and um, take us take us through uh, what that period was like in, in your come up. Yeah, I mean, it, it was the most challenging time. Not one of the most, the most. Uh, it's funny, you reflect. And I was sitting there with uh, Mark Higgins, one of my great mentors, uh, in 2007. And, and he warned me, he warned me, he said, boy, you're, you, you are growing and, and you, you know, this, this market is, is kind of frothy. You ought to, you need to be careful. And at that time, I mean, this would have been what, 16 years ago. So yeah, I'm so you're 20, four years, five years in, <laughs> I'm, I'm 29 years old. I've already been doing this for seven years at that point, uh, or six years or whatever. And I just thought, you know, this old timer, he's just being negative. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm invincible, right? Uh, so August, uh, I think it was August 13th when the subprime market finally collapsed of 07, uh, we had 38 vacant flips, um, millions of dollars of inventory, no, uh, millions of dollars of inventory. And uh, man, we just were bleeding just bleeding but we got out of every deal took about six months lost a couple million dollars and i don't mean million dollars of like blackstone's money i mean like my money it was all (laughs) i had to uh and uh we lived in this massive home we'd paid like a million dollars for it in 06 uh so it's probably i don't know probably three million now um and i mean my wife had to go back to being a real estate agent uh, because the only money you could make in real estate was selling foreclosures at the time. Uh, So she was an REO agent and I was a stay at home dad. And when she got home from work, I'd take off to the rent houses to uh, work on them myself and get them fixed up. So yeah, in a, in a year time, I went from number one home investors office in the nation, flipping 10 or more houses a month, bringing in millions of dollars in revenue every month to, uh, man, if we could just pay our mortgage, it would be a good thing. Uh, so wow, wow. It, it was tough. I mean, we, and we made it out, um, never got a foreclosure, never filed bankruptcy, stayed married. I mean, those are things that didn't happen a lot back then. <laughs> uh, yeah. And now you're uh, 17 years in on the anniversary coming up. So yep. you know, good on you guys. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, those, it sounds like some dark days. And what I'm hearing from, from what you just said is you guys really had to humble yourselves. You had to roll your sleeves up. Both you and your wife as a team had to go back and say, how are we going to make the ends meet? And, you know, it's not going to be that glamorous period that it had been leading up to there. And, um, so, so what do you think, uh, it was about you? You said a lot of, a lot of others, you know, their marriages didn't succeed. They're, you know, they didn't, they weren't able to weather the storm. What do you think about you and your wife that made you guys be able to look in the mirror and just say, look, we got to, we got to figure out a way through. We're stubborn. We are stubborn, type A, passionate people. When she and I fight, which all couples do, like it scares our everyone around. Like we are <laughs> very, very passionate people. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's just, again, sounds like a cliche failure just wasn't an option. It was just, 
I mean, we, we had to work our way out of it. We weren't going to ruin her credit. We weren't going to ruin my credit. Like it just, you know, you do what you have to do. I mean, and, and I think too many entrepreneurs, when things don't go their way, end up stuck, right? Mired in decision and indecision. No clear way in, in front of them that makes enough sense to act on it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we just take action, you know I mean? And imperfect action is better than inaction. And another one of my favorite things is, uh, uh, it, it is a, it's a, it's a saying, uh, don't sacrifice good enough for perfect, right? Like if something is good enough, just do it. Don't sit there and wait for the perfect solution. Uh, so that's kind of, I mean, we just did what we had to do to get by. That's great. What big lessons now, um, going through that, that really tough period, what are the main lessons that you really pulled out of that, that you, I'm sure still utilize in your current 10 plus businesses? (laughs) So I make a lot of money, but my living expenses personally are next to nothing. I, I, I could live in the $600,000 house that we live in for $1,800 a month. Uh, I mean, I could go be a greeter at Walmart and do and make that much money. Right. Uh, we made it where our personal expenses are so low that even if we have all of our revenue cut off, it will not be a problem to live and take care of our family. And when you operate from that position, when you know your family is taken care of, it removes a lot of danger out of your feelings when the market doesn't go your way or a deal doesn't go your way. It gives you optionality. It gives you the ability to say, you know what? I don't enjoy doing this anymore. I'm going to go do that. And, you know, I think too many entrepreneurs, uh, your show is called Find Your Freedom. You know, uh, on my website, the timherridge.com, when the tagline says the business is the vehicle, not the dream. And, you know, that's pro- that a lot of that comes out of 08. I mean, when I, and when I went into 08, you know, we had, hundred thousand dollars a month in overhead between all the rack trucks and the salary and the advertising and the, you know, when you got to make a million just to break even, it's a whole lot harder to be sane. Right. Uh, Right. So now, I mean, the stuff I'm involved in has very low overhead and very high margins. Uh, So I think that's probably, um, you know, I'm never afraid to spend money, right? Uh, the CEO of RCN and I joke around like, I am the guy that will spend $10,000 at a dinner for people that I know we can do a bunch of business with. But like, I'll complain about a $100 bill for a subscription. Right. Entrepreneurs have to understand it is not cheap or frugal to be smart. It's actually just makes you a prudent business person. Yeah. I think so many entrepreneurs, they start making some money and it just, it just falls straight through their fingers. They're living on that razor's edge. They make a million bucks, but they spend a million bucks or $999,000. 
And when you live that way, all it takes is the smallest little turn in the market or misstep. And yeah, you could lose everything or just be put yourself into such a stressful, stressful position where you're painted into a corner. And I think we've had a couple guests who've kind of lived through a similar period, Tim, where like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weight or it's just their own personal circumstances shifted and yeah, they had to sell everything and, and you'll learn real quick, right? That uh, you got to live, you got to lower your overhead and try to stay lean. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's, that's one of those things. I mean, uh, I still take risk, uh, a lot of risk, more risk than my wife would like us to take. Um, but it's all segmented, right? Like there's a certain area of money and type of money that we don't touch and we, you know, it's there and it's there no matter what. Uh, and you know, if we have to shut down a business because it's not successful, we shut it down. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like, you haven't once asked me about the businesses that failed that I was a part of, right? Nobody cares. You care, but nobody else cares. Blackstone said to me one day, I was standing on the corner of uh, waiting for a cab and the managing director says, listen, we know we cannot be right all the time. He goes, as a matter of fact, we know the best we can do is 70%. He goes, but here's the key. When you are, we expect you to make the mistakes, but when you make them, identify them and stop and too many entrepreneurs, like they try to you know, push their way through, push their way through, push their way through. And sometimes, many times, the right decision is to stop, is to kill it, right? Sell the house or shut down the product line or whatever so that you can focus on what's profitable and enjoyable so that the journey itself is actually rewarding and you're not just a miserable human being that makes money. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that that's such valuable advice and I want to lean into it a little bit more. How do you make that decision? I know that there's uh I, I've talked to a lot of people in our in our audience that are listeners that are just like they feel like there's something there. They feel like they're on their path. It's just not happening. How can you give any advice on on what pieces they can do to make that decision? It's like, "All right, look, this isn't working. Maybe we need to pivot." Or like, "Look, I'm just it's going to make it. I just got to keep going for another few months and we're going to we're make it out the dark side." How do you end up with that decision-making tree there? Uh, for me, it just comes down to the man in the mirror. Uh, and you know if you're being honest with yourself or not. Like if you really believe in the product and the vision and the in 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 what you're doing and it's it's a passion I would argue you probably could never have that discussion with yourself. It's when you when you're not passionate about it or it's just something you started doing because it, you thought it would be a good way to make money. I mean, I find our passions don't necessarily ever fit into this category. I'll give you an example. I started a real estate brokerage. I don't know why. I have no, I, I, I'm married to a realtor, but I can't stand realtors. My parents were realtors. Like, oh my God, like if there was ever a group of people I had to manage every day, it would not be realtors. But somehow I end up owning a brokerage that has 60 freaking agents running around and, you know, they're complaining and they don't want to pay anything, but they want everything. And I, it just happened. It was part of like, I had this dream of being vertically integrated and all this crud. I don't know. I mean, so like that just didn't, it doesn't align with my character, with my personality, with my vision. It was making money. Like, here's the thing. It was making money, but I hated it. And uh, I'll give you a quote from another mentor of mine, Richard Weeks. Uh, he said, Tim, sometimes a good deal is getting out of a bad deal. 
<laughs> and I think, you know, too often, like maybe we're downsizing a lease that is $11,000. This is the example. It was 11000 a month. And you're trying to, you, you, you shut down a couple of businesses. Now you need to get into this lease that's 1800 a month, but that 1800 a month lease is at $30 a foot and you were paying $10 a foot upstairs, right? And ah, oh, they're taking advantage of me. And it's really easy to let your ego drive that conversation. But that's what that's when it was actually the board meeting when Richard said, but Tim, sometimes a good deal is getting out of a bad one. And what he meant was stop focusing on whether or not you think this new one is fair. Instead, focus on the fact that you're getting out of the one that you know is too expensive. Right. 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 So I don't know. I'm just I'm like that, Jonathan. But also, here's the thing. And your listeners may think I'm an a-hole for saying this. But at the end of the day, Jonathan, Doug, I hope you guys are successful. I hope that you have everything you want. I hope your families are well. But I really don't care a whole lot. And here's why. If I get cancer tomorrow, you're not going to be at my bedside. <laughs> you're not coming to my house for Thanksgiving. Uh, you, you're not going to be the guy that we go. I go fishing with the day before I die, 20, 30, 40 years from now. It's just a reality of I will do right by people. I will want the best for people. But the only people I can really care about is my family, right? And even when it comes to employees, I care about them. I want them to be happy. But let's not kid ourselves. They're here for a paycheck, right? right? They're not volunteering their time. And I think too often we as entrepreneurs, we take the world's problems on as our own, right? We really just, oh, I need to help Doug and no, Jonathan, no, his mom and I need to give him a raise. No, you don't. You don't. You need to take care of your business and your family. And you need to do what's right by them because when you take care of your business and your family, you can take care of other people. And that's, I, that. I made some mistakes like that. I, I There's been a lot of relationships business-wise that I cared too much about uh, and maybe didn't uh, focus on my family enough. And ultimately, you asked how I made these decisions. Ultimately, on paper, if that business is stealing money from my family, I have an obligation to stop it. That's a good way of looking at it. You have a fiduciary duty to your family first, right? Every family is a family office, right? You have your right. net worth, you have your money, you have your resources, you have your assets. And it may be a family office that's worth $100,000 or $100 million. It doesn't matter. You have a fiduciary responsibility to your, 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 your significant other, to your children, to your extended family to be okay. And you can't be okay if you're broke, period. That's such great advice. What um, I'm sure you have a bunch of uh, people underneath you that you're now their mentor. Is there certain uh, traits or skills that you're trying to hone in them that you feel have helped, you know, now that you've ran these 10 plus uh, businesses, you've uh, done over a billion dollar in real estate deals. Is there some traits that you're trying to instill in your sons and in your mentees that, uh, that you could share with the audience? I'm really big into incremental growth, right? Rome wasn't built in a day. And I like to use the D-Day as an example, right? They knew <laughs> they had to have all the ships at a certain point at D minus one. And then to get the ships at D minus one at that point, D minus 10, they had to be filled up and loaded. 
right? So D minus 20, the troops had to be transported. So D minus 60, right? Like, yep. And that's the way business is. And so there's a bit of reverse planning, right? I tell people you have to have incremental growth and you can't, you can't eat the elephant in one bite. You know, you have to have small wins, small victories, small things that you're working towards. And I push the people that I coach and mentor into achieving small goals kind of on a quarterly basis. That's, that's really what I've found uh, can make you the most progress. Like so many investors, they oh, I want to keep rent houses, but I don't have enough money. Okay, well, that's a BS excuse. Like, let's figure out how much money you need and then let's just put a plan on how to get that money. I mean, right? I mean, so if you need $25,000, you need to make $2,000 a month towards, you know, the, the 25000 Like, they're, they're, we can always focus on the obstacles, but I choose to focus on the path. And I, and I, it's been very good for me. And that's kind of what I focus on teaching other people. I love that. Yeah. Incremental successes to build on. Yeah. Tim, you know, you've accomplished so much at such a very young age. I, I feel like you fast tracked. You have like uh, the success of, of, like you said, your partner, a 65 year old man at, at age 45. And I'm curious how you've accelerated um, your, um, your success and, and, and trajectory so much. Is there a single decision that you look back to? I know it's, it's always hard to like pinpoint that one, but is there one that you think about and go, man, I got so much ROI from that decision. That was really where I kind of saw when I look back, saw my, my trend line skyrocket. I think if you ever asked anyone at any company I was ever involved in, who the hardest worker at that company was, it would be me. Um, all the way back to my time in the Marine Corps, I was meritoriously promoted. I, I received the gung-ho award. I was Marine of the quarter. I mean, Doug, I work hard and I play hard. And that's something that Staff Sergeant Karpinski taught me when I was a private first class. Work hard, play hard, Heritage. And I mean, literally, we were talking about it earlier. I mean, we're on this call right now and Ooh, exactly six hours from right now, I'll be on a plane going to Mexico City for three days. And, <laughs> yes. and while I'm in Mexico City, I will work. I will send emails. I will send text messages. I may even have a freaking closing. Bottom line is I never turn it off, but I find ways to, to have fun while it's on. Right. And especially like with technology now, my gosh, you're just a moron if you don't find a way to have fun and run your business. But (laughs) if you if if you're a clock puncher, if you're someone, oh, I need to go to happy hour with my friends. I'm so busy. You know, maybe entrepreneurism isn't for you. Right. I (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, I send hundreds of emails every weekend, hundreds and I get an idea and I send an email or I find myself looking through email and I send email. Like I have no desire to be still. Take that back. I find great pleasure hunting and being in the woods alone and having quiet. But if you think I'm just sitting there staring at the squirrels playing, you're crazy. I'm listening I'm thinking, I'm clearing my mind. I'm having wonderful business ideas. I send myself little notes on my phone, right? Uh, I work hard. And I think if you're out there and you're not ex- receiving, experiencing the success you want, be honest with yourself, look in the mirror and ask if you're really working hard because most likely you're not. 
Wow. Yeah, it's a brutal conversation with yourself. Uh, one thing that we like to ask every guest uh, on the pod is, how would you personally define entrepreneurship? Wow. So I'm going to explain it two ways, the way I used to think of it and the way I think of it now. Um, oh, great. Entrepreneurship to me was about freedom. And that freedom, it, it, it had to do with never letting someone tell me what my time was worth. Um. And that's kind of the way I looked at it, I'd say, the first 15 years of my career. Now, for me, entrepreneurship is, if, you're, if you've never read the Ed Milet's book, The Power of One More, um, I am the one in my family. I've changed my family's trajectory. I can now start thinking about changing the world. I can think about teaching my children to make money with money versus make money with their hands and their time. Um so I feel like entrepreneurship is a change agent for families and for the world. Uh, and uh, I will be a philanthropist. I will be an investor in people's companies. Um, I have a very specific timeline when my 13 year old graduates high school and I no longer have to be here to drive him around and go to his games every day. Right. Uh, right. That's when we go into kind of angel investor mode. That's when my wife and I, will, I'll be 50, we'll travel the country or the world and we'll just, you know, invest in other. I'd like to help veterans more. Uh, I would like to invest in veterans uh, businesses specifically re revolving around real estate investing. Maybe be the private money guy that they all need and help them underwrite deals. Because I'm telling you, man, you can send me any address in America on my phone and I can pretty much tell you what to pay for it and what I'd loan you on it in about five minutes. So I mean, that's kind of, it started out about being freedom from like the job and freedom from someone else telling me what I was worth. But now to me, entrepreneurship is freedom to uh, 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 change the world and change my family and uh, live the life that only others, others could only dream of. I love that. Yeah, there's so such a level of that freedom. And it's beautiful to see you planning out what that next step of your freedom is going to look like. Yeah. That's really beautiful. We all have such different paths to finding that freedom. So we super appreciate you sharing your incredible path with us and the immense success. And some of the really tough conversations you have to have with yourself. I love how you eloquently sort of stated those for those aspiring entrepreneurs when you really need to have those difficult conversations looking in the mirror to see if it's for you and if the path that you're on is the right path. So I really love this uh, this episode. Thanks so much, Tim. Yeah, yeah. And, and on that note, Jonathan, I mean, a lot of times if you, if you find yourself, you're not, just to not be a complete Marine jerk on the show, if you find that you're not working hard, really review what you're doing. You may just not have a passion for it. You may not like it. But what I find, and, and it's happened to me, Jonathan, I hate flipping houses. Flipping houses has made me millions of dollars, but I've outgrown that now. I'm not there anymore. And often as an entrepreneur, what will happen is you keep doing the same thing because that's how we used to do it or that's how we made money or whatever. And so I would encourage the listeners out there, if, you're not, if you find yourself not working hard, it's probably because the business you started, you no longer enjoy. And either find a way to spice it up or shut it down and start another business, right? And because once that passion gets going again, that's when it's really easy to work. Like you want to work, like you enjoy it. Like it's like, wow, like we're, 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 we're changing the world. We're doing things that no one else has done. We're 
you know, we're making money and like, that's when you find. Uh, so I think the, just to make it a little less harsh, if you're looking in the mirror and the man in the mirror is saying, what are you doing? Maybe you should listen and do something different. I love that. Super clear. Uh, I think a lot of our audience is going to want to know um, where to reach out to you. Uh, where should we direct them? At Tim Harridge. Uh, I'm the only one. Uh, so I'm easy <laughs> to find. We got the uh, one. Can, I'm really active on Facebook and Instagram uh, and TikTok. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, just, you know, get social with us. If you need help with real estate investing finance, uh, you know, hit up uh, RCN Capital. Uh, feel free to DM me or email me and I'll... Uh, I'll get you over to someone on the team that's a lot smarter and more capable than me. <laughs> Love that. Thank you so much, Tim. This was such a great episode. Guys, thanks for having me on. Thanks for reaching out. Doug, thanks for the kind words. Uh, if there's ever anything I can do for you, you let me know. Tim, this has been so inspiring. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. For sure. Have a safe flight, Tim. Being an entrepreneur is hard. That is why we created findyourfreedompod.com to compile all the resources you need to find your own freedom. Freedom. 